0: This is upspin. As of now, it is absolutely criminal that no AMC has come up with an aggressive hybrid index fund. So, there are indices which, have, which has got 65% equity and 35% of bonds. Like the Crystal Aggressive Index, hybrid index. Right. You can have an index fund that tracks that. We don't have that. Hmm. All the aggressive hybrid funds today are all actively managed, and there's a lot of money in there because the AMC sell them as the way I said, diversification, blah blah kind of stuff. And I I think they don't want to that AUM to go to the index. Uh, that that is my feeling. To I the passively seen, managed side. Yeah, I don't see any. It's 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 a no-brainer. If I ha, if I had an AMC license today, that will be the first fund I will launch without wow. a doubt. And if somebody in, I mean, if a reasonably big AMC comes up with that, I will be happy to start investing in it.
1: This is that offspin original you've all been waiting for. It's time for Let's Get Rich with Patu. Now we have a category of a few questions on the calculator episodes, two, right? First one is from Shyam Varyar. Uh, Thank you for your insight. But won't your monthly expenses also increase with each year with more and more commitment and responsibilities that might get mm-hmm. attached as we grow? <laughs> and and of course, I think I know your answer, Two. but are there any calculators that cater for this? Or do you, is the solution just to do it every year? <laughs> you can have a budgeting
0: app. Hmm. See, the one thing I have always dreamed of is have a one app for everything. You do your budget and your budget is going to gradually increase. You take those expenses, you can decide which of those expenses are going to be part of retirement and so on. Those expenses will be automatically fed into the goal planner. You have a portfolio tracker. Hmm. The current value of those investment is automatically fed into the portfolio plan. uh, Goal, financial goal planner. I have that in my sheet. So... Everything is fed in. So you just need to keep updating. And every day also you can do the financial plan. Because you yeah. don't need to do It's all there. And you can just yeah. look at it. You can see the monthly investment increase. The monthly investment required for a goal. Increase or decrease. I have seen how the monthly investment required for retirement has gone down over the years for me. Hmm. When I see it decreasing, it tells me I'm on, on the right path. Sure. Right? It tells me I have accomplished more and more of the corpus I need. Sure. So everything it can be an all in one app maybe uh developers looking at this can come up with one i my my uh that bus has passed for me i can't get
1: into python coding online coding so on and i'm sure Others there are lots of coders work. out there listening to us who can team up with you but uh so your robo advisory currently does not offer this robo advisory is a financial planning tool it doesn't right. do it doesn't take budgeting and sure. so on. all right moving on to the next calculator question uh and this is more philosophical, actually, I, although it is on the calculators. Mathematically, it makes sense, I agree. And this is from Sham Wariar. But it doesn't look very practical for a person coming from a middle class background, even if they are in their 30s. Uh, basically, he's implying that, look, the amounts that these calculators are throwing up sometimes can be beyond our acceptance, understanding, etc., etc. How do you tackle it? How do you mentally or emotionally tackle such... This stuff. I think you've briefly broached this topic part two, but anything else to add? So,
0: somebody asked me this question very question, very. There was a long rant I got from email and uh, I wrote a response to it. First of all, I think we have to stop telling ourselves, I'm middle class, I'm the average man, I'm the common man. You must tell yourself, I'm done with it. I'm mm-hmm. tired of being labeled middle class by myself, by other people. I want to be rich. And oh, this, this thing, oh, being rich is bad, money is bad. No, when you become rich, you can give more. You can donate more. I've talked about that also, I think, if I'm not wrong. So I think we, the mindset has to change. We have to tell ourselves, I'm no longer going to be middle class in 10 years, in 15 years. I'm going to be at least upper middle class or if not rich. Hmm. And once you have that mindset, you, you will have to, uh, you know, strive and take some risks. So, uh, the, so, this person asked me and I think the same, more or less the same question. Can the common man, the common person in India achieve financial independence? After looking at all these calculators and so on. More or less the same question. The, uh, my answer to that is It if a common man wants to remain a common man, nowhere in the world can he or she achieve financial independence. Whether they are in the US, Canada, Norway, if we, they are going to be Considered a common man in the middle rung of the, you know, the social stations, they are now going to be financially independent, it's going to be very, very difficult. So, they will have to take risks in their career, they will have to make sacrifices with their time, with their uh, effort, maybe with their spending, and only then is this possible. So, they will have to make some huge changes. I mean, there is nobody I have seen who said, oh, this is a retirement planning tool. I have put the numbers. It's fantastic. It says uh, X (laughs) is the amount I have to invest. I'm already investing more than X. How many people say that? We do get a few comments like that. Very, very, very few. I mean, that's... So
1: there is one question and I've not selected it, but if I can remember it right, he says, I am saving much, much, he used the word much four times. Much, much, (laughs) much more than I need to based on this calculator. Is there a calculator that... Will show that I'm working too much. I'm not sure if I can. Uh, you, you know what I mean? He needs to retire much earlier. Is there a calculator that shows him that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can adjust
0: the numbers to. Uh, you can set your retirement date and check if you can if you're ready to retire and so on. So that those things can be done. But my point is, most people are going yeah. to panic. Most of them have lost sleep. I tell my audience when I give lectures. I I spoke to RBI. I told the RBI staff that um, if I speak before lunch. <laughs> I give the audience, ind- uh, you know, loss of appetite. After lunch, it's indigestion. And these, these people were looking at me like zombies at the end of the talk. They were frozen stiff mm. because I did. they had independent calculators in their laptops. They did it. And they were shell-shocked. So, it's, it's a, it's a, it, that's how it's going to be. But the point is, can you take the first step to change? Mm. That's how you
1: go forward. Um, great. Moving on to medical insurance, but to a quick question. Um, would uh, this is from Harpreet Gandhi? What should an NRI do who's planning to work till retirement abroad and then move back to India? Should he or she buy a basic health insurance now itself, only buy once they are back in India at the age of sixty, considering age health conditions one may de- develop in the meantime? Buying now is better. Great. Because you don't know
0: where, where you could be
1: uninsurable at that time. Yeah, and it might be really expensive, right?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: quick second question on medical insurance. This is from John Jones or Jose. Uh, would it be better if I take a 10 lakh health insurance policy to avoid the risk of room rent sublimit? Because 10,000 per day is a good safe amount for room rent sublimit.
0: Um, that depends. So if you are sure that you don't want a private player, so there are two... Kinds of player, player. You get a private policy, or you get a policy from the PSUs. If you're sure that you don't want an insurance from the private guys, if you don't trust them, if you're somebody like me, then a PSU insurance with a large cover will help. However, the PSUs themselves are offering policies with no room rent sublimits, or they kind of a modified. Uh, they offer a. Uh, they say that uh, any you can get a standard. AC, single occupancy room of, for any amount. Hmm. Which is not bad. I mean, a standard AC room, single occupancy of, for it's any amount is It's the best category,
1: right?
0: It's okay. It's yeah. absolute. I mean, there are deluxe, super deluxe, etc. etc. and so on. But, come on, you don't. You can yeah. manage with that, right? You're exactly. not going to stay in the hospital for months and months, hopefully. Uh, so, There are many policies and there are options, for example, if I'm not, uh, United India has got this kind of a rider in their family health insurance policy, Oriental insurance has come up with an optional add-on where you can remove the room rent clause. So the PSEs themselves are catering to such options, so you can consider those. But if you think that's expensive, then you can look at the private players. Uh, The private players, most of them don't have room rent sublimits. As of now, at least. Right. But that could change in future. And you can consider them looking
1: at the criteria that we talked about in the episodes. Right. But I guess the basis of his question is that 10,000 is a nice benchmark. But that benchmark might change, right? If room rents like suddenly shoot up.
0: Depends on the hospital you go yeah. to. So I, I would suggest that people should, before buying health insurance, get yourself a family doctor. And the look at the hospitals nearby go to the billing counter near the bill you just stand near the billing counter. they will give you the tariff. you can take a photo of the tariff and just keep it. I, I have done those stupid things. So uh, you that gives you an idea of what is the kind of expense. And if you go to the OPD of a hospital every so often you can see the increase. it will jump yeah So you can do that
1: and then decide. Cool. Now we go to a category of questions which I've labelled as complicated, Patu, right? So let me, this might take a little bit of time, but this is from Vivek788. I am someone who is a DIY investor since seven years, not perfect, made several mistakes, got lucky as well. For a year, I have been trying to internalise Patu's mental model of risks and goal-based investing. I have the gnawing problem of how to decide which of my mutual funds to consolidate and which to continue. I think he meant which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of. Don't say keep only index as I am not comfortable with its lack of downside protection. I ruminated on the topic of contracting a fee-only advisor, but I felt the charges are too high. Well, that's something you have to deal with. Also, many of them claim to be only. Rec- also, many of them claim to only recommend index funds. I have my own tracker for goals, and funds are mapped too. So the question is, how to go about consolidating funds? I currently check portfolio overlap, expense ratio, and asset mix suitability for a goal horizon. I still feel I have too many funds across categories, and then I read the list of funds, and yeah, it is quite a bit. Three index funds, low low volatility, one balance advantage, five ELSS, one sectoral, two small cap, one focused, two retirement plus NPS, one liquid, one conservative hybrid. That is, after closing some debt, active large caps, one sectoral, one index, and one aggressive hybrid.
0: So uh, if after all this analysis that you mentioned, portfolio overlap, expense ratio, etc., if you're still not able to make a decision, do inky pinky punky. <laughs> it works. I mean, it, it's just the same, right? Uh, because you would never know what the future is going to be. So it's it's just random. Already you have a large portfolio, so you are basically representing the whole market with your portfolio in some way. Mm. So you can get rid of some. You have five ELSS fund. Get rid of, stop investing in ELSS funds, and choose the new tax regime. And after the funds become you know mature enough, three years after three years they are old enough to redeem. You can slowly get rid of them. So every six months or so, or every one year, remove two funds or three funds. Then. After five years or six years, you'll have a nice portfolio.
1: I have my own personal question based on this topic and, and you know, your words from the previous episode also, Patu, about how how do you quantify clutter? How do you quantify diversification? So how about this solution, Two, where I have exactly two mutual funds in my entire portfolio. One is a nifty 50 or whatever, some index fund and one debt fund and that's it. And of course, my insurance is in place, my etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Does that, that's a super simple plan. Yes. And say I do it for 30-40 years. Particularly if you don't have an EPF or
0: kind of an arrangement. If you're a freelancer and so on. It's the the ideal thing. You don't need to worry about it. You can look at your business. Forget about your investments. Once a year look at your uh,
1: portfolio. You're, that's the happiest place to be in. Really? Literally? So no diversification. One equity More. mutual fund. That's enough. Index based. One debt fund. That's it. Maybe a uh, you know liquid fund or whatever that is. And that's it's- it. Yeah,
0: liquid fund, money market fund is also fine. Uh, If you are somebody who don't like, there are people who like volatility in the debt now, who don't like volatility in the debt now. Both are fine. It doesn't make a difference. Uh, For those who don't like volatility, liquid fund or money market fund will do. For others, a corporate bond fund or a guild fund.
1: Are there any risks to this strategy? Like Uh, what if that one fund I invested in was Franklin Temperton?
0: So, that's... I mean, you can choose... So, things have changed now. That's not going to happen again. That kind of thing is not... Something new may happen, but that kind of thing is not going to happen again. But but in the money market segment and liquid fund segment, you're more or less safely okay. See, there's a fund called Franklin Savings Fund, Hmm. which is a money market fund. It suffered huge redemption pressure because of all the other problems. It did not close, but it still did well. Hmm. So, there's a lot of liquidity in the low... uh, uh, duration segment of the bond market. So that's fine. Tea.
1: I was thinking of also perhaps dedicating half an episode to what happened actually in the Franklin story, right? Was it all because they just didn't have enough cash or et cetera, et cetera. But so, yeah, it's a big, uh, yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, it's a, it's
0: it can happen again. There's something called redemption risk in mutual funds, yeah. which many people don't understand.
1: Right. Um, so you're saying it's as simple as that. Just have one equity, one debt, And then just keep putting in money for them. You know, the idea came when you mentioned in the last episode, you have 57% of your equity in Parag Right? And, you know, one fund can hold you in good stead for life. I I think that's... I mean, my
0: model is very risky because Mm. uh, Parag is a very... uh, I mean, things can change. I've been lucky with it. And I'm happy. I'm emotionally kind of attached to those returns. So, I'm just holding on to it. It's not a logical idea. But technically, it's a very high concentration risk that one should not take. Uh, but I have see the point is I'm I'm confident because I've seen losses and I've seen underperformance more than losses I've seen underperform. If if a person can live through underperformance mm. with respect to benchmark, I think they can live through anything. They can handle anything. Losses,
1: market, whole market, everything yeah. will. So interesting. Another thing from the previous episode that's sticking out part two is about how you're not going to shift everything to an index fund because of the massive tax you'll have to pay, right? So just thinking into the future, say 30, 40, 50 years from now, where your portfolio is perhaps inherited by your son. Uh, Is there any tax that he has to pay if he redeems? How does that particular work? Uh, No, whoever, uh, if if he redeems, he's going to have to pay tax. On the entire amount, just as you would have if you you switched. Yeah, that's always the case. Okay. Um, Moving on to further questions two: is there any benefit, and this has come from Narayan Narayana Raugula. Sir, is there any benefit in inv- investing direct equity other than to save expense ratio charged by mutual funds?
0: See, I strongly believe that direct equity should be done by those who have a passion for finding good businesses. Hmm. There are people who say, I love to track businesses. I love understanding what their model is, what are the kind of competitors... That's fine. Those are the people who are best suited for direct equity. Those people should not look at expense ratios of mutual funds or performance of mutual funds. They are passionate about it. Mm. Once you are passionate, you should not compare. You go ahead and do it. It's fine. Absolutely fine. But if you say that there are many other people who say if you invest in direct stocks, you can easily beat mutual funds. That is absolute nonsense. Mm. If you invest in direct stocks, you can't even regularly beat the Nifty or Sensex. It's very hard to do. I mean, mo- that is the reason why most people don't bother trying to compare. Right. They will say, my my stock made 3x, 4x. Hun- 100x is not a big deal. 100x in 1 year, 5 years is a big deal. Hmm. 100x over 20 years is not a big deal. Because the, the longer the time, the annualized return will come down. So that you can see these stock guys, many of them talk about absolute stock returns. They don't talk about annualized return because it's very hard to find annualized return. I have a tool for that. But if you have dividends, splits, bonuses, etc., etc. and so on, very hard to find annualized return. So the most of them don't bother comparing. Only those passionate guys should invest, others should not. That's my opinion.
1: Great. Next question by Piyush barman Patu. Um uh, Where should I start reading out his question from? My question is, I'm planning to invest for my kids' graduation. You recommended hybrid funds in free FinCal channel because of downside risk. Is there something changed in hybrid equity which we need to be aware of? Or you're just recommending that so that we start the investment journey?
0: No, I always like hybrid funds. He's referring to aggressive hybrid funds. Those are funds with 65% or more in direct equity not the other kind of hybrid funds we discussed last episode. Right. So, aggressive hybrid funds, so, I always love them because, suppose I give you a portfolio of 100% stocks, right? It will move up and down. It has got its own risk and reward. Suppose I replace 30% of that portfolio with bonds. The reward is going to be more or less the same, but the risk is significantly reduced. Hmm. So, Diversification is called the, f- the only free lunch in finance or maybe in the universe. Because all you need to do to lower risk but not lower reward proportionally is just add bonds. Replace your stocks, some stocks with bonds. That's what an aggressive hybrid fund does. Hmm. As of now, it is absolutely criminal that no AMC has come up with an aggressive hybrid index fund. So, there are indices which have which has got 65% equity and 35% of bonds. Like the Crystal Aggressive Index, Hybrid Index. Right. You can have an index fund that tracks that. We don't have that. Hmm. All the aggressive hybrid funds today are all actively managed. Hmm. And there's a lot of money in there. Because the AMCs sell them as the way I said. Diversification, blah, blah, kind of stuff. And I, I think they don't want... To that AUM to go to the index uh, that that is my feeling. I to have the passively seen, managed side. Yeah, I don't see any. It's 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 a no-brainer. If I ha, if I had an AMC license today, that will be the first fund I will launch, without wow. a doubt. And if somebody in I mean, if a reasonably big AMC comes up with that, I will be happy to start investing in it. And I've said that several times because many aggressive hybrid funds cannot consistently beat the aggressive hybrid index.
1: Amazing. It has to be then a business reason, to that it's not been it done is. so far. It
0: is. At least the new AMCs can come up with it. People like Zero Dagro or Bandhan, whoever, they're all new AMCs. They can do it. I don't see why they're doing it. There's nothing in the SEBI rules that uh, prevent this. Hmm. But I think it's just a business reason. As uh, So, let's see. I mean,
1: Maybe it, we tag Nikhil Kamath on this episode and see if he, on this little post. I don't want to talk to AMC guys at all. <laughs> But he's not. I mean he is he is. an AMC guy? Now he now is, he is.
0: Yeah. No AMC I don't want to talk to any finance people at all. It's 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 a waste of my time.
1: I feel very lucky in the place I am right now. <laughs> So here's a very interesting, and perhaps we'll call a close to this episode, Part 2, because we can just keep going in different directions. So this is a question that came in about parents, right? My concern is not about me, but my parents. My father in his mid-60s is, re- is retired from his banking job, gets a pension, and my mother will retire next year from a private school teacher job. It's amazing how similar this is to my situation. Uh, but she wasn't in the private sector. She was in the uh, government institution as a teacher. They are financially fine, but all their investments are in FDs and PFs. Should I advise them to diversify into equity? And if so, in what instruments and how much? And this opened up a whole, you know, series of thoughts, two, for me about how there are lots of listeners who are at that stage in their life, in their mid-30s, uh, maybe early 30s, who ha- now have to start perhaps thinking about taking care of their parents. Or if not, and bless those parents, including mine, who, I just it was such an eye-opening fact that In my investment journey, I don't have to think about my parents. And that's perhaps the greatest gift they've given to me, right? There's no pressure on me to take care of them financially. But how does one start dealing with their finances for them? And uh, am I wrong to say that a large chunk of our parents, that generation who grew up in the 70s, 80s, they were all in these FDs uh, kind of space, right? FTPF, fixed income, safe And they've somehow managed. So how does one deal with this entire world?
0: My recommendation is don't. Uh, I think many people assume they're financially literate and assume their parents are not financially literate, Mm. which is a big mistake. So either you just leave them be or the best thing that you can do for them is to make sure that they themselves don't make mistakes uh, on their own is to uh, hire the services of a semi registered fee only advisor and let them work on their finances and so uh, ideally the advisor should be a little experienced Hmm. slightly older because you don't want a 25 year old gung ho guy working on a a senior citizen portfolio and say put it all in stocks and that I mean that will be dangerous a senior somebody who is senior so that they can also resonate with right somebody's in the 50s I would that that will be fine for somebody in the 60s Fifties is not so bad to resonate with, so that would be the best investment you can make,
1: and uh, it will be a good for for them and for you, yourself. So, Patu, to my final question on this episode, to try and get it to a close, is there any? I don't know whether it's anecdotes or data about how people in the past planned for retirement. I find that quite fascinating, right? Uh, for example, fifty years ago, hundred years ago, did they even think about? Was it literally putting cash in a pillowcase? Uh, they certainly didn't have mutual funds. They didn't, I mean, when was the start of FDs? Uh, banking started maybe 150 years ago. So this concept of retirement planning, is it extremely new? And they seem to be doing fine, right? These people who are in the 70s, 80s, most of them at least, perhaps the ones I know. Uh,
0: so that's a tricky thing to answer, but I can tell you this bond's are probably the oldest retirement planning tools. Mm-hmm. We always had bonds. Bonds are s- several centuries old, Got and uh, in, but the point is that we could have private bonds and uh, government bonds. So uh, there are many people who have uh, you know been bankrupt because they invested in the wrong kind of bonds and so on. So bonds have always been the primary retirement tool. But then all these bankers came in, the mm-hmm. insurance guys came in, and they kind of made this kind of annuities. So they became the middlemen. So, they they will invest in the bonds themselves, but they will give you a different product like a fixed deposit or an annuity, so that they can pocket the difference, Hmm. the difference in profits and so on. So, that kind of layered products came in later, but bonds have uh, always been uh, uh, the number one retirement planning tool. And it has come full circle. So, today we now have RBI Retail Direct, and I think we should probably talk about that enough itself. It's an excellent idea to talk about that because now uh, uh, an individual retiree or an individual can buy a bond directly and they can buy a 30 year, 40 year, even 50 year bond. And uh, uh, there are situations where a 50 year bond will be useful and so on. So, you can buy these bonds. They are the safest retirement. You're directly interacting with your government. As long as the currency is stable, mm. you are guaranteed of getting that
1: income. And you get a yearly payout? Yeah, twice a year, every six months. Fascinating. So you're saying in the back in the day, it used to be literally these paper certificates of these bonds, right? Yeah. Um, and they were so precious. And I remember there was a big calamity in my family when my mum lost these paper certificates and it was so tough to kind of deal with that, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So interesting. So you're saying this entire concept and thinking about the future, I guess, has always been around. Um, and perhaps not much has changed, except in our times, we have additional products and and, you know, the luxury of equity, mutual funds, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So on that note, Part 2, a conversation that went in several different directions. Thank you, as usual, for your time. Um, have a great week. And please, we urge all you listeners and viewers, this show is nothing. If you don't send in these types of questions uh, and your particular experiences and the problems that you want to solve in your financial journey, let Patu take a shot at it. And we'll see you on next, the next week of Let's Get Rich with Patu. Bye, Patu. Bye-bye. You just heard Let's Get Rich with Patu, an Offspin original. Isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the Indian podcasting space? And even if it isn't, what's the point of getting rich alone, right? Share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about. But make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Pattu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi. And everyone on the Offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show. Let me name them quickly. Harshly Nusrani, Krishank Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi and Heer Khan. Heer, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving Pattu his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Siddhan, your host. Let's Get Rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word and we'll see you next week. You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Spot2 or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or patto or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening, you agree that the host, guests, and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes.
0: This is Offspring.